In today's episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have Arun Jagannathan. Arun Jagannathan is a seasoned entrepreneur and co-founder of Wiserly and Crackverbal. Arun's expertise lies at the crossroads of education and technology, where he helps businesses and individuals navigate the AI-driven future. At Wiserly, he advises on upskilling for the AI era, while at Crackverbal, he guides future leaders through GMAT and MBA admissions. Arun's holistic approach combines education and technology to prepare you for the challenges and opportunities of tomorrow. Arun, hi, good afternoon. Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking your time out for being here with me today. Uh, hi, thank you for having me. Uh, excited. So I'm um, curious, you know, how this goes. So let's get rolling. Great, great, Arun. Arun, uh, first question is very simple. So what do you do now? What are you doing now? So I didn't realize the first question would be a very hard question. <laughs> I was sarcastic when I said it's a simple question. So so what I'm doing is uh, I uh, currently have co-founded two companies. So the first one is called Crackverbal, where we help people make smarter career decisions. We help them take uh, tests such as the GMAT. Uh, we help them with admissions, uh, but largely we help them with, you know, career decisions. Uh, so that's the first part. And the second one is uh, the, the holding company is called Perspicacity uh, and we have uh, two brands. One is called English for India and then we have a new brand called uh, Wiserly. And uh, over there, we are in the communication space. Um, so English for India, as the name suggests, we have a lofty goal of helping people in India learn English. Right? Uh, the second one is Wiserly, which is a business communication. Uh, so we do foundational courses we do courses for management uh, and that's yeah it's a b2b cannot play crack purple is b2c so got it, that's what's happening got it arun uh, obviously you know uh, just like any other podcast before getting into it i kind of you know the the easiest uh, resource for me about anybody is their linkedin page and um, the you know, I was going through your LinkedIn and it says, you know, you founded Crackverbal about 12 years back. So you've been running Crackverbal for about 12 years now, a decade, a little more than a decade. Um, so before that, I see that, you know, you were working um, on different, you know, in different capacities. So my question to you here is, uh, you know, we'll go back a little. If you can walk us through your journey, you know, how it all started. And um, up until the point, you decided that you're going to jump into entrepreneurship. So if you can cover that aspect, I think we can talk about other things after that. Great. And uh, before I get into uh, that bit, I just want to tell that nothing in my experience or education really prepared me for what I'm doing today. Um, right. So what you'll see is like uh, a bunch of things, which when they happened as, you know, the famous deep jobs things, you know, connecting the dots when they happened, I didn't realize, but I think in hindsight, I can see how those uh, influences were uh, important. So, I uh, I am from a Tam Bram family, right? So Tam Bram is very uh, you know conservative. Typically, we become doctors, engineers. My uh, you know both my brothers were engineers. My dad was a chartered was a chartered accountant. My right. grandfathers were doctors. So when I grew there, entrepreneurship for us was something that we just didn't do. Right. Right. So that's not something that I really got uh, from my family. In fact, the only uh, entrepreneurs that I would see would be uh, these Bollywood movies, right? And back in the 80s, 90s, they just showed all these villains to be like businessmen, correct? Right. So you imagine 
Amrish Puri coming out of the swimming pool with a bathrobe and you think, you know, smoking a cigar and you think entrepreneurship is all those, um, you know, negative things, right? That's how at least my initial uh, association was. Uh, so uh, I grew up in a place called Badodra, which is uh, also called Baroda. In yeah. fact, uh, interesting trivia is, you know, Kolkata, Mumbai, all these guys, they changed all these places. The names changed well into the 90s. But uh, Vadodara was the first name that was changed back in 72. Oh, right. From Baroda to Vadodara. Okay. So, Baroda is the bank of Baroda, right? Right. The thing. So, it's in Gujarat. So, I think somewhere Gujarat also played an important uh, role in this entrepreneurship journey. You know, like you see people and see Gujarati mentality is very different from, let's say, what a Bangalore startup mentality is, right? Like, I can uh, make a pencil for like two rupees, sell it to you for five rupees, make a margin of it. It's a business, right? And uh, so I did my schooling. I did my college. I actually ended up, uh, as I said, the Tambram influence still stayed. I uh, ended up uh, doing my master's in computers. And uh, because I did my master's in computers, the most logical thing was to get a job in Bangalore. And that's how I made my... Uh, journey from oh right Vadodara to Bangalore, and uh, it's 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 then you know once I came to Bangalore, that's the first part of my IT life. Uh, so if you see my uh, career progression, I started off as a developer and then I became a project manager. So the journey of IT was very interesting, and um, you know initially when I started coding, uh, I think till that point education served just as a means to get to an end you know i wasn't really thinking what is it that i wanted to do i just wanted to get a job but now that i had a job i realized that i uh, was terrible at programming terrible would be an understatement but (laughs) uh, but i still managed to survive for a few years and then uh, i got into a project management management role and over there i was able to really get to my strengths uh, and i was kind of doing that uh, Alongside my uh, job, there was another thing that I would do, uh, like a you know part-time gig. So I started teaching. So what happened back is uh, I was taking, this is late 90s, um, before online and edtech came. So uh, we had, uh, you know, like the MBA and the MCA entrances exam, right? So I right. had taken some of these exams. I had done fairly well, but I eventually chose to do an MCA. But I was testing. Uh, I got an opportunity to teach part-time. And, uh, you know, Baroda is a place where, you know, if you get someone who can speak in English for like two hours, uh, you know, it's like the, at least back then, the average of what a verbal faculty could do was fairly limited. So I think I was able to kind of get into that. And I think in a short period, there was some amount of name that I was able to create as a verbal faculty uh, and all of this part-time, right? Right, right. When I came to Bangalore, that was my litmus test because I came for my day job, right? But then it's easy teaching in a smaller city. Um, could I teach in a larger city like Bangalore, right? Um, when well, the answer is yes, I could. And uh, I again pursued this uh, part-time alongside my full-time job. Somewhere in 2006, it just got a little too much because, you know, Monday to Friday you're doing, that's when I got into project management, my job became a little bit more hectic and uh, this part of teaching right like my weekends would go in teaching and you can explain about passion only so much to friends correct right. because you are making plans and you're saying no i have a class 
right? It's uh, so Great. I did that for quite a few years. In fact, from 2006 till uh, 2011, I continued, uh, you know, my day job along with uh, my part-time teaching. And right. then finally, uh, you know, 2011 is when I took the plunge and I became an entrepreneur. Uh, and, and that's where I've been for the last decade plus. Got it, Arun. Great. <clears throat> Before we talk about your transition, one interesting thing I want to probe you on whatever you think it is, right? You use you, you use the word Gujarati mentality or Gujarat mentality. And you said how, you know, it's a little different from how entrepreneurship happens in Bangalore. Can you, what is it? What is different? What is the Gujarat mentality actually? I've heard about them a lot, but, you know, I'd like to, you've grown up in Badodra and all, so would like to hear from you. Right. So I think uh, this is something which... Uh, you know, I think if you look at it, and I don't want to stereotype, correct? So I don't know if it's politically incorrect, but if you look at it, I think there is a certain mentality that you have, um, you know, in some places, it's just inherent, maybe it's cultural, correct? And what I felt is the Jugad mentality in Gujarat is to look for opportunities, right? So I'll give maybe one example, so you can think of how it would work. So, uh, Again, when I was growing up, there used to be this underpass, underbridge. Uh, it would get filled with water, right? Right. Now, if you are going in a car, you will see if there are any cars stuck. Right. Right. You will see there are no cars. So, you will say, well, maybe, you know, it's easy for me to get through. You get in, you get stuck. Exactly at that point, there will be a guy who will come knock at the door, uh, the window, and say, I can push it out, like 100 bucks, right? Now, you are obviously stuck. You say, okay, let me just get it out. You get it out, there is a mechanic waiting. And he wow. knows your car needs to be restarted. Right? He's right. Box. Now, the point is, these guys probably have a shop somewhere else. Right, right. But they saw the opportunity, hey, it's going to rain. Right? Maybe this is going to happen. There's a problem. So, I think that level of opportunity seizing is what I think is really the entrepreneurial mindset. Right? Right, right. So, I think that's a little bit more cultural in Gujarat. Education, on the other hand, is not as... Well regarded, right? So you don't really kind of you know have a lot of people who end up you know studying so much, but they end up making money. Got it. Thank you. That was a yeah. very new example that I've heard of. But yeah, I got the point. You know, uh, you kind of go out of your comfort zone and go where the business is going to happen is probably what it is. So, Arun, you said you know you're from a Tambram family, and you know entrepreneurship was not really in the scheme of things in your family. But um, you did get into the IT domain and you said, you know, you started working part-time from 2006 to 2011. Now, what was the need for you to do that? Was it just boredom in your existing job or was it um, extra money or were you looking at figuring something out so that you could quit the job? Right. So I think uh, just a correction, it was actually 2001, 2000 to 2011. Wow. 2006 okay. is when I started Crack Verbal full-time. Uh, sorry, part-time. Part-time, got it. So got it got NTP it. Crack Verbal came into existence in 2006 and then 2011 I did that full-time. So I'll just maybe give a, a kind of... So a, my, my uh, question would be, why did you... What was the reason for you to uh, start part-time teaching from 2001 itself? Right. So I think there were two reasons, right? I think the first reason, uh, and it's, it's very easy to look at it at this point and uh, this, but... Uh, I was, I think all teachers somewhere, they are kind of 
narcissists in some sense, right? Like little narcissistic quality. So how I got interested in teaching was even when I was in college. Right. Um, in Viva, I would my role number was one. Some odd sorting of algorithm it would come up as you know because I don't have a surname, so it it would sorted. I would be role number one. I have to go now go and you know answer the questions and then I would have my friends waiting outside. So I think the ability to explain was there, correct? So I think it was like a soft influence I had. People knew that you know I could help them. Uh, right. In fact, uh, you know, at some point, I would even be paid to take a test so that I could help them cheat on it. I know it sounds terrible, but I was so good at it, right? Like they know that I could just crack any entrance at a, a, a local level. So all of this was playing, and then uh, I got into teaching software, right? I I taught software because I thought that's the most you know easy thing because I have an education in that. But then I realized that you know I'm I'm terrible at it, so. Why would I take my part-time uh, job to do something, you know, the same domain? And that is where uh, there was an opportunity in uh, a test prep company in uh, Baroda. They were looking for a verbal faculty. And uh, I didn't even have a resume for a faculty, right? So I made up this resume with my test course and all of it. So I was asked for a demo and, uh, you know, I, I kind of got in. And that's really how I got into test prep part-time. Uh, the two reasons, one, uh, it paid me money. Right. And to be honest, at this point, I think somewhere 2005, 2006, the diminishing returns started kicking in. Correct. But before that, you know, the way I would look at it is it was uh, like, you know, to quote uh, in Bangalore terms, beer money. Correct. It's going to buy some extra thing. The second is I got a lot of kick out of it. Right. I would love teaching, you know, and if there is a concept I've taken in one class, I've taught in a particular way, you know, there is an urge next class. What will I say differently? You know, right. how do I get them to have that aha effect? You know, right, right, those right. things always attracted me. So I think that's how it kind of uh, ended uh, continuing. But 10 years is a long time, right? Yeah, so, yeah. 10, 11 years to do part-time is a long time. And in 2001, when you started part-time, you were working as a developer. Then. Correct. I was. Okay. Got it. So, Arun, uh, now let's talk about your, you know, transition. Part-time is okay. You know, your family is probably thinking, you know, he's working, he's doing this. Um, when you wanted to completely take up entrepreneurship, quitting your full-time job, what was the scenario like at home? Uh, right. Was there any resistance? Were there any, you know, anxiousness about all this? Or were you prepared? Do you Did you always know that, you know, I'm saving up so that I can go full-time? How was it? So I think, uh, you know... Like a lot of people have asked, right? Like if you knew in 2006 what you wanted to do, uh, why did you go in and uh, why did you wait for so long? But I think if you go back, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was a very different mindset. Startup right. wasn't as sexy as uh, it, it was. I think now it's kind of gone back to not being sexy. Yes, but yes. I think, uh, but at least there is a, a greater acceptance, right, of someone wanting to do this. So I think uh, a couple of things. So the first thing is... Uh, that in this journey, of course, uh, I also had a co-founder who was my wife, right, Shrikla. And uh, she essentially uh, was kind of doing this part-time as well. So we were kind of doing it together. And at uh, somewhere around 2010 is when uh, she got into this full-time, right? right? And uh, she kind of created this base for me. Uh, and, the, and the deal earlier was that I would kind of get in and she would kind of go back uh, to working corporate. So she was an HP, 
So, uh, but then, you know, once things started rolling in 2010, I think by the time 2011 came, uh, the decision was a lot easier for me to make because uh, we at least were able to see that together. Um, and the other thing also is that, you know, now we realize that if she were to go back to working, right, I would need someone else to do that thing. So I couldn't have found, you know, anyone to do the kind of way she was able to do this. So we then kind of, so that's, that's one thing that did make. Now coming to the other thing, which is the most important, right, uh, which is uh, in terms of finances, I think I, I kind of created an Excel, did some math around it. Uh, but while I was doing this math, I saw the Marwadi community and Marwadis have this very nice way of, you know, putting things uh, and they have been generationally in business, right? So it's not just one guy, he's learning from his father, grandfather, everyone else also. So uh, he said, you know, the moment you go with a plan B, correct, any business you go, okay, you think you have a plan B, plan C, but when you go in, you don't have a plan B. If something happens, then think of a plan B. Right now, just go and you have to think it will succeed. Right? right? Because one thing that usually happens is that there is a clock ticking which says, okay, this was my salary. So right. I'm losing this much money. Right? Six months, eight months, you know, and into it, it can kind of get to you. I said, look, there is no turning back. Let me just go. As long as I'm enjoying and as right. long as I'm able to, you know, meet my uh, basic needs. Right? Which, by the way, included a big EMI. I think these right. are things that most people have, right? Like as liabilities. That yes, want yes, yes. So I wouldn't want to call my kid a liability. <laughs> <laughs> but the education is, right? <laughs> got it, got it. By the way. Yeah, my wife and co-founder is her name is Shrikala. Great. Arun, so I'm going to go back a little bit more because there's another transition here. Because you started off working Although you did part-time for 10 years, you must have had a transition where you worked for another company part-time. Versus you, you you would have eventually moved on to having private students of your own. Right. Uh, so how did that transition happen? So what happened is uh, I actually stopped teaching cold turkey. So I just kind of stopped. But I was very active on online forums. Okay. So uh, back then, one of the largest online MBA forums in India was called Pagal Guy. And uh, in right, Pagal Guy, right. I was yes. a fairly active poster and you know like there was a brand equity i was able to build plus my last teaching was i i, I started teaching gmat then and i was teaching at a place called kaplan um, yeah. and they had a franchisee and i was teaching that so when i quit many of those students actually came to me for advice and saying that you know mm. you can help and somewhere the word kind of spread and then pagal guy i started testing the waters so what i did is now we can call it mvp but in reality, when I have when it happened, it was I had no idea what, what an MVP is, correct? Right, right. Clean and all that have not even started. So all I did is I said um, I will I, I started a thread called I will teach you how to crack verbal. So because I was a verbal faculty, so right. that's how the name crack verbal actually came. So we used to meet at Airlines Hotel, um, right, Haram, right. coffee, and you know it's just an open air. The waiters don't come to bother you. Right. So we could sit for hours, but I would, I did that for free. Correct. Right. Very quickly. What I started realizing is that, Hey, you know, if you give advice for free, people don't value it. Right. I mean, correct. Uh, correct. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I ask people to come and then people don't show up. And that used to hit me. Like I am giving you free advice. Right. I mean, yeah. free teaching, but then, so then I said, let me, uh, so, uh, I picked a hotel where they have a conference room. 
and uh, we had to uh, kind of book minimum like 12 or 15 people and there is this per uh, person hey. they give yeah. right quote uh, so it was back in the day it was working out to about uh, uh, 15000 and i said i'll create a 3000 rupee course which i will sell to six students so i'll make 18000 and 15000 is the cost which i have to give my time i am not accounting but at least i know that there is something that works so i got six students right so i just kind of made it to six students and uh, you know uh, from that the ball started rolling so then you know ever since then right the the whole uh, thing has been how do i go about uh, you know doing this better how do i go about uh, you know helping more students so crack mobile has kind of grown since 2023 now so you can imagine right in terms of how much it's evolved uh, which year was this this I, uh, I did in so i quit kaplan in 2005 2006 summer is when uh, i started doing this uh, 2006 October is when we had our first workshop. Got it. And um, you used to do this only on the weekends for five years. Correct. So I would do that only on weekends because weekdays wouldn't allow me to teach. Saturday, Sunday, boot camp. Got it. You used to finish uh, that thing in two days, is it? Uh, people, students used to pay 3,000 rupees for two days. Correct. So uh, the initial thing was uh, I was doing it over two weekends, so it was basically four days. Uh, that's the costing. Uh, but eventually, we made that uh, into four weekends. So it would be a one-month bootcamp or four weekends. Then from three k, we upped it to six k. Then we got it to like you know eight nine k. Then we hit ten twelve k. Right. So we kind of kept increasing. Uh, eventually, we had a proper three-month offline. We had three centers. Uh, pre-pandemic uh, in Bangalore. In fact, we had expanded to even other cities, but uh, we had finally consolidated. So we were running that as a as a larger operation. So, got and it. That costing was about uh, the, the the program would be uh, about thirty five thousand. Got it. The verbal part alone for GMAT. No, this we basically would cater to both. So three K was verbal only, but then as we keep getting to the next level of pricing, we have to add. So we added quant also. Right. right. So then we kind of kept, we have to give material. So they have to get books now. So we had to, you know, publish books. So each time, you know, we would add something, we would end up increasing the course cost. Got it. So you said that, you know, you were in this online forum where you kind of, you know, had a thread going where you would help people crack bubbles. So that was your major uh, source of students, even when you became paid. Is that correct? Or did you do any paid ads and stuff like that back in into 2006? So, to be honest, we did a bunch of crazy things, right? I mean, now if I look at it, it just looks like, wow, what was I thinking? Um, so, a couple of things. One of them is uh, some kind of a gorilla marketing, correct? Like we right. would, uh, so there was this MBA tour uh, that was held in Bangalore. And I remember I had gotten people uh, to kind of stand outside with a banner of Crackable. Oh, right, right. So then the hotel guy said, no, you were like, I'm standing in the street, right? Like, you can't really. But we had footfalls, right? People going and coming. So, right. we did uh, things like that. Uh, we also, and this is, again, you know, this is a pre-digital era, correct? Right. So, in a pre-digital era, I think uh, Padal guy was a huge lead source because that was uh, one thing. But uh, we also uh, found that, you know, we were associated 
with some more things like for example there was uh, this just dial correct i think just, just dial yeah. right so they would give you the phone number and once right. a person also what i would do is i would get the phone numbers from just dial then when i'm actually driving back home uh, i would kind of call uh, the students so that was my routine wow okay so you did the sales yourself yes yes got it um so when was the first hire that you made uh so we eventually uh 2010 also as i said shikla and i were uh, doing it ourselves uh 2011 is when uh, we had our first uh, person come in uh, so we had some interns in between but our first major hire was uh 2011 uh i think somewhere around early that year correct right and uh, we had a person come in for sales the same year uh, we had someone uh, join us uh, in a operations role and just to give you a context the sales person left us for leather we kind of parted ways in 2018 19 oh, so wow. was, that's a long stint yeah uh, and the operations person is now taking care of sales his name is likesh he is there with us even today so wow that's yeah. that's awesome arun uh one is when you were working from 2006 to 2011 doing weekends is one thing uh going full time how did it change how did it pan out what were the changes that you had to implement or did you still continue weekends and you chill during the weekdays uh so this is one thing that you know people would ask me right like so you are teaching on weekends what do you do on weekdays uh somehow when we started out we always wanted to build a company right. you know we we always realized that yes arun is the maybe the product right now but eventually we wanted to so i think we had those principles in mind um, so we said we will can of this but a lot of it was also that we have to do the uh, you know kind of uh, heavy lifting correct so uh, right. you know in my case for example uh, i was the teacher i was doing sales right i had to do a bunch of things so one of the things that uh, does come to you is your sense of i you know before i quit i was in a nice kind of corner office like a cubicle you know that's like a with the ac office and you know there are like other people in the team sitting with you and suddenly from there i went to this place uh, our first boss was on st mark's road uh, and it was like this you know kind of old building and a uh, small office and there is a small fan that is going on and remember one day afternoon i'm sitting you know it it was making this odd sound right and i'm like sitting and what, what am i doing right because somewhere your identity of what impact you are producing correct is like what do i then call myself right well right for a long time i used to call myself a english teacher before i started calling myself an entrepreneur because you know it's really that's how i viewed it and you know there is this certain uh, societal thing that comes right like what do you do the answer okay. to that is a very easy you know designation and company but uh, it takes some use to uh, i think but but that gets i think i i got used to it pretty fast but got it um so you said uh, you know uh, your co-founder your wife uh, shrikala also you know is a major part played a major part so did you how did you happen to you know rope her into this like was she did she also have a natural inclination towards teaching the way you did or was it more of a functional thing uh so i think uh, one thing that uh, uh, really happened is she wasn't anywhere uh, close to so this teaching. was my stuff right? right this is what i would do right uh, but then 
uh, it so happened that we had our daughter in 2008. So 2009, you know, she was on maternity leave. And then uh, the thing happened that I was trying to figure out what to do with crack verbal. And she had this decision at that point of saying, do I want to go back and continue with what I was doing? Right. Because I think sometimes brain uh, gives you that perspective. So I yeah. think that, that perspective, so she said, okay, why not I help you? As I said, initially, the thing is that gives me the flexibility of being at home, doing this stuff, right? Uh, at the same time, you know, kind of uh, helping out. But as things would turn out, uh, she ended up, you know, liking it, loving it. So she takes care of admissions. Uh, she takes care of our entire applications team. So she works as a career mentor, career coach at Trackable today. So she's been on a journey that she's kind of also enjoyed, right? So, got it, Arun. Arun, I have uh, more questions about this, but a little detour here. It's a little personal question. You can yeah. take it if you want to, or you know, we can move past yeah. this. You said from two thousand one, you you are also working, and you know, all the weekends you're doing your part time teaching. Uh, I am asking this uh, in a sort of a comparative mode. Today's uh, generation, or you know, millennials, as you call it, or Gen Z, you know. Um, when it is a marriage or when it is a relationship, spending time with each other is considered very important thing. You know how much time you are able to set, you know, give for each other is one important thing. So, uh, when you when you are in marriage, how did you manage to work like seven days a week? Or when you say weekends, you mean to say just two hours a week or something? What is the thing? Or did did didn't you have the need? for giving each other some time what was it like right you know what i'm going to take it as a two part question <laughs> okay sure so, and i'm going to answer the first part which is you know the one that you asked about till the time uh, crack verbal started correct right. uh, this whole journey was my passion correct right and the idea is that you know when you look at uh, supporting right so i think i got a lot of support so there is no denying the fact that uh, during those you know weekends at seven hours is seven days a week is brutal <laughs> and it hits you on monday morning because yeah. all your colleagues are refreshed after a weekend but you have had you know something to do and you know it's, it's kind of hard but i think i got a lot of support so there is no uh, denying that and i think one of the things about me is this right i mean this is my personality i always like to be engaged i kind of constantly i'm doing something thinking something uh, so that's been part of my personality trait so i think she kind of knew that from before right okay uh, but the second part right is uh, you know the other question which i thought you know might be uh, what you uh, was were saying when you said personal which is should you even started with a spouse right um, you know it's it's a very subjective answer definitely it's worked out well in my case where you know things kind of work but it is very tough because you know um, when we are together it's it's just that you know we always joke that we actually have two children like one is our daughter and then there is crack couple because both happened around the same time and you know it's been a journey right, right so right. Uh, i think it it it's something that we'll have to learn how to balance right, right. um right. so there are there are calls when we have to make calls like management decisions right we are putting on our game face right but then you know we are back we are family so it's a different thing so i think that takes some getting used to got it got it and maybe also given that you know both of you uh, were entrepreneurial in the same business you know both of you were working in the same business probably 
uh, you didn't have to set out a dedicated time for each other as such because you're anyways together and then you know whenever you'd have time whatever it is got it i didn't so, talk about work <laughs> so it's very hard to let go of it right because both of you are in that startup mode you are right. thinking of all the plans and everything going so that and but what happens even now right so those are very enjoyable conversations correct right when we are right. not thinking about work and we have so much context to what you know we are speaking right. so that, that definitely helps got it so solving a problem together was the fun part in a way right got it at the end of the day it's for couples to do some activities together right. in your case it was your business that you did together correct. which can be considered as an activity correct. got it and also 2017 when i started perspicacity uh, i started that with mahesh who also happens to be my friend from college right so great i'm going to come to english for india and wiseli as well but before that i've got few more questions here you said you know you when you started crack verbal you wanted it to be a company but then you were aware of the fact that arun is a product at that point in time because i've spoken to a lot of standardized test prep people uh, business professionals you know who teach the brand builds mainly because of one person right because of the way they teach you know they kind of become a celebrity sort of uh, thing to those students and the students reference stuff like that how did you go from First of all this is a two part question when you say arun was a product what made that product what was the usp of that product and second is how did you manage to kind of you know make it a company beyond arun himself because eventually even as an individual right uh, somebody is an entrepreneur to scale up and stuff like that you don't want to just be one sort of a thing so how did you tackle both of these things or what was the first what made you a product what are the what's the usp and second one how did you uh, move away from arun being the main focus to changing into a company right so uh, i think uh, first off as a teacher i think there are two things that i do very well i am a master of uh, imitation and repetition so i can okay. see something i know like how to do it in my brain i'll i'll kind of this and i'll come and i'll uh, you know be able to repeat it i i can repeat it like so i each class for me was an exercise in optimization right because it's boring if i'm going to see each class as a class which is going to be the same thing so for me it is almost like theater like when you are performing for a drama or a play you know every time you go it's a performance in front of an audience you're not saying i'm going and doing the same thing no right and what i noticed about teaching is teaching as a profession doesn't pay very well which is also one of the reasons i actually stopped teaching because per hour there comes you so much right it gets capped so what happens is the good guys don't stay for long Right? right and the guys who stay for long unfortunately in most cases are not people who could who can do anything else right so yeah. that's why they say you know those who can do those who can't teach right so i mean i am a teacher i am a, i am kind of I, i represent the teaching community but you know that's really the case uh, what what i saw so for me what happened is i not only had the intelligence to figure out right how to optimize and how to do this but i also had experience because now i was teaching part time for a decade so when i right. launched crack verbal like i started teaching i i, I wasn't a, i wasn't coming in and saying well this is my first time right i had done enough of uh, uh, this right. now what happened of course is that stuck because if you sit in and i'm not saying this out of any you know arrogance or this but if you were to go back to those that 
point and period and you want to sit in my class for three hours you sit in any other class you know who am i competing with i'm competing with a guy uh, who's probably paid 250 rupees an hour correct um I, i'm not trying to sound demeaning but you know it's it's you're just going to get quality yeah. That is, yeah yes right and also what happens the curriculum is also dumbed down so what i also realized is students are very smart Right. So what we started doing, instead of just teaching, we would teach other things, right? About business, about life, about entrepreneurship, about this, that, and some amount of you know stand-up comedy thrown in. And overall, wow. okay. yeah. So overall, uh, you know, I was soon taking multiple batches, right? And this thing came across. I realized though, I can't clone myself, which is what every other teacher wants. They want this one teacher who is going to be their, uh, you know, uh, reflection. So I think a couple of things I did was, A, I did not put myself on a pedestal, but I said, if someone is teaching 80% of me, that is good enough, right? right? So it is not that I want everyone to be like me and, uh, you know, uh, clone that. And I found a niche of a particular type of people who would be my ideal trainers. Once I identified that group, I just had to build that community right so these were people who had already taken that gmat who had already done their mba typically they would be from isb right and they would be working in corporates but somewhere deep down they have a teacher in them right, right? right. so i just had to add they had very high scores so they knew the test because they were working in corporates like amazon and stuff their communication and all that happened Third, from a student perspective, there was an aspirational thing because they want to take the GMAT and get to ISB. And there's a guy who's teaching them GMAT, correct? So I think those uh, kind of things work for me. So over a period of time, the idea was to uh, have people come and say, I want to attend. The first day I heard this, that I want to attend, uh, we had a faculty called Shikan Singh, right? So it's a Shikan's class, right? That the time I know it is like no longer Arun, but... There are other faculty who can right. carry the brand. Wow, that was that story ended very beautifully. Uh, didn't see that coming at all, because that's one of the most biggest problems teachers who started five years before, ten years before, are facing today. Uh, from what I've spoken, you know, they want to scale up, but they don't know who's gonna replace them, because they eventually they want to stop teaching. They want to relax a little bit. They don't want to put in that many number of hours they put in all these years. So, great stuff. So, I'll just add one more point over here, which is, uh, so even today, if you look at it, uh, though we don't only have IS, like this, you know, mentors, we also have a very strong team internally. I right. think also as an entrepreneur, as the founder, I think, uh, you know, empowering the team, Right. And when we go, for example, when I have my YouTube videos, I go in the YouTube videos. But when a team contacts Crack Verbal, I want them to know that you are talking to my team. These right. are people who I talk to on a daily basis. Right. right? Uh, and I also have ways by which they can reach out to me for before uh, the student takes the GMAT. Right. So I do that call personally uh, for the students because for me, you know, that's a way for me to also be connected uh, to the yep. student community. Otherwise, I may end up, you know, kind of getting uh, this. So I also get that feedback about how the course was and also give them that help. So I think we have to look at how do we eventually what students want is our expertise, right? right. So what right. is the best way to give it to them is, I think, 
uh, the question there. Got it, Arun. Arun, I'd like to touch a little bit upon the team building activity uh, or hiring or, you know, building your crack bubble company when you first hired in 2011, your salesperson, you know, who you had for a long time. The reason I'm asking you where I'm coming from is that when you and your spouse run a business, it's pretty much you don't have any trust issues. Both of you are interchangeable. Both of you have same interests in mind. Okay. Uh, you know that you don't have any control issues. You don't feel you're out of control. But the moment you have to bring in a third person, a stranger into the company uh, that you've built um, for so many years with so much of hard work, uh, was it a very easy process for you? Or how did you handle that? Um, and uh, did you learn on the go? Or did your previous experiences as a project manager help you? Yeah, I think definitely both of our experience in IT uh, was very useful, right? So this is, again, those connecting the dots kind of thing because IT is run in such a professional way. Uh, that is how we ran Crackable from day one uh, right. in terms of, you know, uh, this. So we had functions that we had. Um, so we had someone for marketing. We had identified someone. The only thing we wanted to do is instead of putting in money out of our pockets, we wanted the business to get us the budget to go and hire. So therefore, we would keep these hiring goals saying, uh, if we are able to get to X number of students, which results in Y, we will hire, let's say, someone to do this job. So I think that uh, was how we looked at hiring. And we did not think of anyone. In fact, even before we got someone full time, we also worked with people part time. Right. Um, so we had uh, someone who was helping us build our first website. Correct. Right. Uh, we had our first quant faculty, right, who was working full-time, but he would come and teach quant part-time, right? So those kind of, you know, we saw the value, what other people can bring. So I think for us to transition that to a full-time role, and there was no equity split. We didn't get very senior hires. So that also made life a little easier. Got it. Um, coming to 2020, the lockdown happens, the pandemic and all that. But before I get there, uh, were you doing only uh, in-class sessions, that is face-to-face -face classes until then? Or did you start your online sessions any earlier than the pandemic itself? So we actually started online way back in 2013, where we would have our remote wow. centers in Bombay, Delhi and Chennai, 2014. And I would be relayed live to all these cities out of Bangalore. So we had some kind of an online component then. Uh, but then, you know, we did have online, but I think if you look at it from a mentality perspective, see, if you're an offline player, at least back then, if I were to look at my own efforts on online, online was something I also did. Oh, you are not from the places where I can serve you. Why don't you take our online? Correct. So I think uh, 2016 is when we started actively selling online. Till then, I think, you know, we just more of a uh, add-on product. Uh, but eventually from 2016 to 20, again, you know, we had a, a pre-recorded course um, and we were still focused mainly, uh, you know, uh, offline. But because we had those experiments, because we had that platform, because we had all of it, I think it helped us make the transition during uh, the pandemic a lot faster. So we were once pandemic hit 2020, we had to go completely off. Correct. And you're online even today. You don't have any physical yeah. centers. Correct. And we are 100% remote as a company. Great. 
Arun, uh, from 20, you said, you know, your uh, pre-recorded courses and your online thing started from 2016 and you went online completely in 2020. Uh, from a tools point of view, from all the software point of view, how has the journey been from 2016 till today? What are the upgrades you've made? What are the evolution that have happened and stuff like that in terms of process, tools, software and stuff? So, uh, honestly, when we got into this uh... 2016, I and, and I, you know, everything is in hindsight, right? It right. looks really stupid. <laughs> but we somehow got this freelance developer who convinced us that uh, he would uh, develop an LMS for us. Okay. And uh, this was in 2016. This is 2016. He was based out of Kagwada. He could speak only Punjabi. And uh, the person from outside, Liasning, was, you know, a, 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 a Tamil. So he would he would kind of have this very funny you know exchange of what the LMS is going to and he would say Achha, LMS me what do you want correct we would go like crazy say do this do that and uh, eventually you can imagine what happened we really, really never got the product and eventually he gave us the code and said you know this is and this is I would say even cloud wasn't as big right back then it was yeah yeah. So, uh, I think that is where we started. Very quickly, we realized that uh, that is not something that uh, we wanted to kind of uh, spend on. Uh, so, then we got onto another online platform uh, that helped us uh, host the videos, right? If I were to look at uh, how technology has changed, I think uh, definitely uh, there has been a lot more capability that is built in. I think the user experience has also improved. Correct. As with most other things, like if I were to go visit a website in 2016 to now, I think, you know, yeah. more minimal design, more intuitive uh, buttons and so on. So I think uh, the good and the bad part is really that, which is uh, things have improved, but not really. I am very excited how generative AI is going to be that paradigm shift because, you know, that is where I see uh, things kind of moving in a very interesting way. Arun, uh, you said in 2016 you did pre-recorded courses uh, where you recorded and you could have, uh, you sold it. But then, you know, way back in 2013, what you did was for the lack of teachers or to maintain the quality, you just replicated the offline model itself. Because offline model technically is a model where students will have to come out of their houses and into a center. Whether the teacher comes to the center or he teaches from wherever it is, it's one thing. But in between this did you ever teach students who sat at home and, uh, you know, via Zoom or Google Meet? Right. Did that happen? Uh, what triggered that model? Were there incoming demands and were there, you know, requests for private one-on-one tutoring and all that? Right. So, I think what happened is uh, uh, initially for us, on lim- online meant on demand uh, because what we were doing in a classroom is very hard for me to package it in an online kind of mode, right? Um, So somehow uh, we ended up doing some live sessions, but we weren't very happy because, you know, it did not have the same feel. And see, for us also, our faculty also did not want to do it. They got a kick doing it in front of a business and online, I don't see people. There is a chat window, I have to go ask questions, you know. Uh, And internet speeds were also a problem. Yeah, yeah. Geo pre, uh, you know, 4G, and so half the time, you know, I'm not able to hear, you know, and you know, kind of get those kind of things. So we did a smattering of these live 
you know classes over a period of time but it wasn't serious till a uh, pandemic hit and 2020 march i went i took the last class in all my centers and i informed them that there is this you know chinese virus so we want to be careful i remember i went in front of them without a mask right i mean right it just right. it was not set in so i said next class i will teach because by then i had i stopped teaching there were other people teaching so i said i will teach you and i'll teach you live so all the batches got merged and i started teaching live online so that is a program that we are continuing till now so okay. we have on demand program but we also have a live program and we also have personal one on one tutoring right these are the three products that we currently have and in uh, 2020 sorry uh, sorry arun sorry for interfering is it three products one is the on demand program that you started during the pandemic one is one on one personal one more is it's a live group cohort it's a cohort based learning okay right where you still have the trainers who you hire do those things yeah who do the weekend teaching and stuff live online got it and we are planning to do the classroom uh, in a workshop model which is going back to 2006 where it all began so we want to go with the asset light model i don't want to now that i have shut down my centers i go back i do the math it just doesn't make sense for a single product like gmat mba kind of product it doesn't make sense so that's where we thought we kind of go with the workshop model okay sorry i lost you for a second yeah i heard you last you said for a single product it doesn't make sense okay. arun another thing that i want to touch upon is you you stressed upon the fact you know how for you it was like a performance right um uh, in front of the audience you know it's not like you're a teacher and stuff like that every time you go it's like a play now uh, cut to online teaching where you do not have live people in front of you how did you adapt to that did you have to do anything uh, special for that or was it just another easy natural transition for you 2020 when it started till 2023 we are still in the learning process right uh, it's been so first thing what i did instinctively i took my teaching style i took everything i had from the offline to an online assuming that people interact the way they interact offline right, right? i realized that in my first class itself when i cracked a joke and i had to stare at my chart window to see if people are even reacting correct so i think that was you know when i realized that a lot of things had to change but i think we just went in with that adaptation so for the first one year we did that and then i think after about a year and you know pretty much the last two years uh, we have kind of you know started looking at it more in terms of a student journey right so what happened online is we replicated an offline model in offline i give you a course it's a 3 month course you have to come to the center i am not going to go to your house right so the onus is on you right but when we went online what we realized is that just expecting them to show up is not a good way for us to deliver our program right so we started looking at what is it that is important for us so we identified some key metrics one of the key metric was course completion so we said in, so eventually people have to take the test but are you able to complete the course do you have the confidence to at least take a practice test and then see you know how, how we want to take it so we kept that as a goal uh, and you know we started looking at it more in terms of a student experience so we kind of split the student journey so in that space 
attending the class is one part of the overall experience, right? Uh, rather than saying that is the product that you come in, I'll teach and then we go back. Got it. Arun, uh, in uh, 2020, you know, when the pandemic started, you said you started off this online thing and then, you know, you realized how you cannot just replicate the offline model and stuff. You must have probably used a tool like Zoom or something. But when you changed the perspective, the way you looked at online teaching from a student journey point of view, you said, you know, the delivery of your classes just became one aspect of it. And there is so many other things that had to come. So to meet all these things, what does your tech stack look like? What are the tools that you use? So uh, what also happened is there is a slight, uh, you know, detour, which is 2020, when we went from offline to online, we were able to take a lot of our brand equity from the offline world to the online world, right? Uh, so I think that was a good year and everyone else around was talking edtech. So I think it's very easy to get into that. So we decided to develop a product and uh, we created a product which essentially uh, is helping us with our on-demand and uh, live program. Uh, the product vision that I had, uh, I think we are, we are kind of, you know, we, we think the vision is good of what we need to do. But in hindsight, uh, and I'm just sharing my very honest opinion here, is, uh, you know, tech is not a game that you can play without VC for tech, right? That right. is something that we realized that, so we thought we will develop this as an MVP, then kind of go raise funds, right? But then, you know, when funding didn't come, we don't want to really plow back a lot of money from, you know, the business into creating uh, yeah. the test for the sake of tech, right? So we believe we have got a good uh, platform to help students, but uh, could I have done it with the third party? Maybe, correct? Right. Uh, of course, I do have some more control uh, in the way I uh, do the do the platform, right? So that is the first thing. So the platform gives us uh, data around student performance, like uh, how they uh, have, uh, what they have watched and, uh, you know, so on and so. For a student also, they can attend the weekend class and all that from the, uh, platform itself. Apart from that, uh, we have, um, you know, uh, a way by which we split the students into three broad buckets. Okay. So the first bucket is uh, when a student comes in the orientation. So many a times what happens is people purchase a course, but they don't get started with the course. And this we realized was a big dropout point for us. Like when we asked, they said, yeah, I thought of GMAT. Uh, I purchased, but I'm not like getting started right and uh, it's it's not something that i would like to you know have with my students that they pay for something and not take the service so first goal is for them to get oriented where we make sure that they come in and uh, get an understanding of how the gmat is and how the course is going to help them start watching the basics then we have a period called improvement you did not know something i'll teach you something your course will improve right this is really where the course ends but then we have one more phase called the optimization phase. So now you know what it is, but somewhere you are not able to get to a higher score. So then we have slightly more high touch kind of, you know, involvement with these set of students. Because for us, the more students who take the GMAT, I mean, very obviously, it's better for us, correct? As a company, that's a learning outcome that we want to look at. We also would like to help them in their MBA admission journey, correct? Right. Uh, and the best kind of reference that we get are from our students, right? So, uh, right. that's so, so multiple reasons why uh, we believe that's important. So, we kind of uh, create these three stages, which is not in our product in the sense the maintenance, 
that we use uh, on Google Docs. We use spreadsheets uh, and, and cannot do it that way. Arun, uh, you spoke about your attempt at getting a VC funding for a product that you created, but it didn't kind of, you know, um, succeed. Uh, what was your experience like? What was your learning? Right. So I think a couple of things uh, that happened. One is 2019, I was enrolled for a Stanford program. It's uh, run for entrepreneurs called the Stanford Transformation Program. Uh, and it's meant for growth stage companies and uh, companies that they believe have the potential. So I think my journey of this VC started somewhere in 2019. Uh, till then, I was fairly traditional in my mindset. But 2019 is when I started thinking. I started thinking about uh, things like scale and so on. Uh, 2020, when pandemic hit, uh, and, and see, this, 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 like what I realized about Stanford is it's a mindset. It's a thinking, you know, what right. you get at Stanford. Uh, it's like a West Coast VC mindset, right? Where everything is metrics, everything is growth, everything is, you know, very exciting. At least when I kind of started learning, I was like, wow, you know, this sounds very exciting. And when pandemic hit, it looked like, Achha, I have to execute the plan, right? But I think deep down, I was missing my why, right? And I remember one of my friends, you know, he just asked, right? Like, why are you doing this, correct? Because you're doing what you like, you're, you know, kind of doing something, why do you want to get into? I did not have a very great answer to different. So I think I took the idea and because of the network that I had created, I knew that even before I go to a VC, right? I want to make sure that my friend circle, people in my network should say, Arun, great idea, get VC money for this. Things that, you know, I am not able to answer. Uh, I think a lot of them, by the way, knowing me, uh, I think the bigger question is, do you really want to do this? Correct? Is that the right. journey uh, you want to pick? And I think that made me uh, deeper, go a little deeper. Um, so 2021 is when we created the product and this whole edtech uh, hype happened. Fortunately, my cap also went up for the uninitiated customer acquisition cost, performance marketing, right? Um, so product cost and all of that scaled up. But fortunately, we were able to kind of, you know, put, uh, kind of get our things back. So we were able to kind of survive. So now we are on the way to making, you know, we have recovered. So now is kind of the onboard growth journey. Got it, Arun. Um, and you also said, EdTech is a game that cannot be played without VC funds, right? Um, why is that? Right. So, see, there are two types of, uh, uh, you know, EdTech uh, things. So, I, I definitely want to uh, appreciate the fact that there is possibility of someone doing it, correct? Uh, but typically, what you will see is, you will see uh, two types of companies, right? One would be a traditional company that wants to go online, correct? Like, for example, Allen today has launched a digital version. But I'm not very sure if they are going to replace the rigor that they get from a classroom, you know, kind of retail model, right? Yeah. Similarly, if I were to look at, uh, let's say, a Baidu's or an Unacademy, right? Do they really have the operational skills to go and set up, you know, uh, centers and run it? I don't know, right? So I think if uh, someone is in a traditional space, where they already are the experts in that particular uh, thing, I think bootstrapping, because you are already making money, right? And building out a tech product, at least, you know, the initial bit, you should be able to do it. And, you know, that may uh, 
be suffice. But if you are saying, no, I am going to re-engineer the whole process. I am going to build a new AI to kind of, you know, uh, reinvent the wheel. Sure. But then that is a journey for which you need VC money, right? So uh, I wasn't playing that game. I realized very quickly. Right. Uh, I, I really, honestly, I didn't have a good idea. Let me put it that way. Every right. idea that I thought of, I, I, I always felt that, you know, uh, there is something else I could do. And uh, I think I was waiting for it. And then the funding winter happened. So all the ideas, even if I had a great idea, wouldn't have really, uh, you know, kind of worked. So I think it was a good pass. Got it. But where is the need for idea when you have a business that's running well? It's all about scaling up, no? Right. So I think when I say idea, what I meant is in terms of, so if I can just tell you what, what we are looking at it, potentially, you know, if that is a great idea, I could go and raise money for it. Because I have done this for 12 years. If I see something happening, if I see uh, that traction coming, you know, I would definitely want to raise money. But I'll just give one example of, so students who come to us for GMAT MBA, right, are really not necessarily looking for GMAT MBA. So think about why would a person think of quitting his job, okay, um, putting, you know, his life earnings, right, and not taking a pay, right, and possibly going to a foreign country. Why would someone want to take that risk? Because there is some dissatisfaction, displeasure with what they are doing, right, in their current careers. So right. in the first level, when we talk, and we talk to thousands of students, right, our first level conversations are usually about their career progression, about, you know, and we are able to serve a percentage of that market in GMAT and MBA. But there is a large percentage uh, which requires career advice, right, and uh, we are providing that free at this point, correct? But I would really love to see if I can build a product, right, where I can, you know, kind of monetize uh, career services, right? So I want to look at something which has a larger TAM, right? So uh, GMAT and MBA is too small a market for that money to be invested. But careers as a space is huge, right? So right. maybe, uh, you know, for that sometime. But at this point, with what we are doing at Crack Verbal, we have, we generate enough cash for me to at least do those experiments. Right. No? Right. Right. Got it. Arun, uh, now, you know, going back a little bit when you spoke about, you know, how uh, your wife also kind of, you know, took a break from her work. And then, you know, when you both uh, started working together, you said she now heads the um, the opportunities for the students, you know, what they can do, career counseling sort of a thing. So you started off as a trainer or, you know, a test prep teacher, coach, whatever you want to call it. Now, how did, uh, did you have the skill sets, you know, what credibility did you have or what knowledge did you have and how did you kind of trans take up also, uh, you know, the business of advising students on their career path as such? How did that come to happen? Right. So uh, I think that happened in an organic manner over a period of time. Uh, so we were into test prep, but our students were applying because we had built a relationship with them. They would come and ask us. Uh, right. We had some students who had already gone in, uh, you know, to the to the US and were in, in top schools. We cannot use that network to conduct, let's say, mock interviews, right? Right. And over a period of time, we started people telling us, right? Why don't you start admissions? 
and that according to me is the greatest validation right for a idea when your own customers come and say why are you losing money to this guy when you know i think you have the you know kind of thing to do it so that's how we started i think the first few years uh, we kind of did it mostly uh, internally but eventually we now have a panel of uh, mentors from top b schools so we have a fairly large 40 to 50 mentors from top schools so what we do is we have the crack mobile process but eventually he works with the mentor and it's like you could say a quasi market place of sorts so we give a percentage to the mentor and it was uh, initially free but then you started charging for the career counseling part correct initially it was free because a we didn't have the confidence to really say whether what right, we are right, doing, right. you know when we saw that success like i helped someone get into lbs is when i know that okay this essay is what it is right and then you get that feedback loop and can of help build your confidence to charge got it, got it. arun but what really encompasses the entire thing of career counseling so uh, when students come to us what we do is we essentially help them answer three questions right uh so the first is where do you want to go correct right. and in order to ask where do you want to go i think we also end up asking the second question which is where are you what is it that you bring correct at this point and then the third question becomes easier which is what is the delta between where you want to go and where you are correct right and right. there are multiple paths to get there we just need to pick the most efficient and you know effective way to get more got it arun and when you said you know you want to kind of look at uh, an audience with a larger uh, opportunity with a larger tam you s- that means career counseling you're not only looking at it from an mba point of view you're looking at it from any field any domain point of view right it could be arts it could be commerce science engineering whatever it is but uh, in this career counseling that you spoke about the first question you ask is you already asked them where you want to go but so don't you help them with choosing where they want to go correct So when I said these are the three questions to which together we find the answer, and as right, you, uh, right, and, right. And, you know, I think there are uh, uh, three answers that I usually get correct, and each of these three answers, uh, when we dig a little deeper, we realize uh, there are issues. So first is I am absolutely clear what I want to do. Okay. <laughs> usually my question is why and when we get into the why we realize many a times it's just what they have heard i want right. to get into consulting i want to get into mcinzy bain bcg right and people kind of have this uh, you know think without really asking whether it's it's really for them right, right. so that one uh, second is you know people who say i do not have a goal i want to go to a b school and explore what i want to do with life terrible okay because the amount of money you're spending on a b school if you don't know what is your goal right it's a terrible investment correct right so if nothing else be open to the fact that you can change your mind when you get in but at least till that point you know you you'll have to have fake it till you make it at least at least pick some goal right which is aligned to your strengths but right. you can always change that goal going ahead and the third is where people come in and uh, i think i'm seeing a lot more of uh, people in the third category where they are saying look arun i don't know what the world is going to look like right. right correct right so i don't want to get into the silo of saying i want to be a, a product manager i want to do this i want to do that if i were to pick pick an industry and a function correct how will my growth look like in the next you know 3 uh, to 5 years correct and therefore what do i need to pick maybe an mba is not an answer 
ஒர்க்ரெட் um is it still that way or you know have you moved on where you know it's beyond word of mouth also now right so uh, yeah i think uh, word of mouth uh, just to give you a sense i think it works better in an offline mode i just feel that in an online sometimes you know people just tend to consume it and they are not in that setting to uh, you know kind of this thing so having said that i think we still get referrals we were but classroom is different classroom is if i would give an analogy uh, it's like uh, a restaurant business right yeah. uh, think of veena stores right malaysian someone goes there has at least back in the day when it was a hole in the wall kind of thing you know there is an experience now the moment it comes to swiggy or zomato uh, it's just like a five star rating correct and okay, everybody has like 4.7 4.8 rating it becomes very hard to really uh, differentiate right 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 so, i think that's one big uh, you know thing that we uh, realized uh, so from a marketing perspective just to you know give a sense of the uh, sales and marketing engine so we have marketing which is broadly uh, in kind of you could say uh, two categories one is performance marketing uh, we do some amount of performance marketing right. but we are also focusing on content marketing so performance marketing content marketing are the you know both of them are the top of the funnel when they come to the website we give a free uh, you know version of the course we kind of get them used to how the things are uh, and then it goes into our crm uh, so from the website so all our leads are digital so that means where there will be a landing page or the main website from where they will land into the crm and in the crm we have a lead score that we assign based on the activities they are doing and then we have a set of uh, counselors uh, they are in sales but we like to call them su- customer success managers right because right. their job is to ensure that the people they are talking to they also act as career counselors right to help them kind of this and as part of it they sell uh, the gmat and the mba admissions product so that's how my marketing and sales is set up got it, got it. i don't uh, just to give an idea to the people you know who are probably aspiring at having something of their own who are verbal uh, teachers now for gmat or quant for that matter uh a big dilemma for anybody who start off is you know whether to go organic or you know go performance marketing route as far as when it comes to performance marketing what is the return like if you are investing 100 rupees on performance marketing what is it that you can realistically expect i think performance marketing also goes down the tech route right you can pump in as much money as you want and it keeps sucking in all that money right uh, so for us we did not start with performance marketing so we had classroom run completely organic correct and you know if i were to think about it except for just dial i don't even know how i got leads right i had a website but not many people were searching on it correct right next so i think uh, the first thing that uh, you know we did was we dabbled with performance marketing for quite some time we made a lot of mistakes we learned a lot along the way so that journey itself took a long time right. so someone who's not started performance marketing uh, my my i mean my experience has told me that 
don't go in thinking that i will figure it out from day one right. and you will have a lot of people coming you convincing you with these numbers that you give me 100 rupees in the ad i give you like 500 leads but what eventually happened with performance marketing and still we have rationalized the cost but eventually what happens is today it is easier than before or ever to show your ads and generate leads correct right but the quality of the conversation that we have with organic leads with referral leads with leads who have done that due diligence as opposed to someone who just saw some ad and clicked and doesn't even remember is is chalk and cheese right so i think uh, performance that again this is my experience yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know it has to be a longer term thing so now we have enough performance marketing for us to give us the right roi but it right. has taken us quite some time to get to this and also finding the right partners so we have some partners and you know people who cannot help us but even that has taken us quite some time got it arun arun if we if we take uh, your uh, source of uh, acquiring client as three buckets uh, correct me if i'm wrong one is performance marketing one is content marketing one more is uh, the reference of the word of mouth what would be the percentage split so typically what happens is uh, i'm going to put it as organic and direct so organic and direct uh, is perhaps right now uh, i would say the the split is uh, 40 40 and referrals uh, maybe about 20 right so right. equal from performance so performance the thing is it gives you uh, more leads like it's easier for you some ads that you can run you know you know what kind of keywords and you know those so i think if you know that then uh, but i would say 40 40 20 is probably how it is right Got it. Thank you for that. And we want to get that referral from about twenty to a thirty, which is my goal to get to that number. Arun, uh, crack verbal. I think we've spoken about, but you don't do only crack verbal. You also do English for India, and now very recently you've started something called Wiserly. But uh, can you talk to us about English for India? How did that come about in the middle of all this that's going on? So I think by two thousand sixteen, I had gotten all my. processes in place so to speak for crack verbal so it was kind of self managed ad like people and that's when uh, mahesh thrani my friend went back so used to quest together so we started having this discussion we hit upon this idea that you know we had so he also is from baroda so we are the only two people from baroda who could speak english even back then right you know like so we are like wondering like how did language give us an advantage in our careers in our lives and we realized that there is a larger you know problem that we would like to solve so that's how we gotten into it uh, we did a bunch of experimentation we were offline initially then we went online and then with pandemic even at uh, you know uh, that place we kind of moved online right very quickly we realized a couple of things one is india wants to learn english but doesn't want to pay for it so right. you know it's very hard to monetize right. uh, and you know you have these Uh, teachers who are individual teachers who can sell a course for maybe uh, a 99 199 kind of price point yeah, i think yeah. there is a market over there uh, but just that we weren't into that market so we pivoted to b2b so that's how our journey kind of shifted but what happened we continued with the english for india brand name which later on you know started becoming a little you know uh, uh, it, it was it's kind of not going in with what we were doing for companies because they don't want to learn english they want to improve communication correct right right um, so we thought we'll change that 
so we continue english for india as a b2b to c in the sense we work with colleges uh, where we teach english according to the cfr framework from a1 a2 b1 b2 c1 c2 uh, and on wiserly we have uh, you know the business communication courses where we uh, cater exclusively to corporates got it done i just want to like probe a little bit on the english for india because you know english if somebody wants to start teaching and they don't have a specific skill set like you know uh, verbal or quant to teach gmat or something english is something that anybody can fall back on as a skill that they can probably teach and make some money or you know make a living so uh, for somebody who's starting out you know can you share some of the things that you spent time and learned and discovered for yourself so i think a uh, couple of things that uh, I, i i would probably suggest to so the first is i think there is a certain merit in learning uh, the pedagogy that is required for teaching adults right so there is a certification of uh, uh, english language training to adults selta you're talking about right. right right so we so you know i think going through that rigor is important because the biggest shift is english is not a for apple and b for ball correct you are teaching to adults especially in a country like india where people still have a very uh, rich active vocabulary in right. the sense i can tell at least 10 words that in english that every indian would know like time correct you say what is the time right time kya hai or whatever so i think that is uh, it's very different so that would be my first thing to kind of this because i see a lot of people who are self taught right they say oh i know how to do it i will be able to teach you it's not the same right to right? get into teaching it has to be slightly more formal so i think that's the first uh, bit so we spent a lot of time learning about this uh, you know whole thing on cfr correct the common european framework of languages i think german spanish french all these european languages also have that so english also we realized we had to create content for a1 a2 so there is some amount of uh, theoretical knowledge that is required the second thing that we re- realized is uh, when you look at communication english communication language learning i think content is one part i think okay. when you look at delivery you look at it in terms of content right. so i think there is content there is context and then there is confidence correct right. so i need to know what to say i need to know when to say it right i also need to have that awareness and i need to know how to say it you know it should come across the way i'm intending it to so uh, we kind of delved little deeper and we realized that uh, all communication right has there is a productive aspect and there is a receptive aspect so the right. productive aspect is uh, writing and speaking right. and the receptive aspect is uh, reading and listening right so right. we realized that people tend to focus on the productive aspect like you will have spoken english course correct right. or you be asked to improve written communication but you know so we double down on that we said okay within that what do we want to put in uh, written so within written we found a huge opportunity in email and honestly we had not thought of it right i mean i come from a generation when you know i like what is that right no about email right but uh, we very quickly realized that email is a huge need so that came in written and then similarly in spoken we have various things right from giving them the confidence to also things like cultural how do you know deal with people from other cultures so on and so forth so that's how we really got into uh, the product building got it arun arun uh, you know when somebody starts 
to probably teach something. No, let's take English, uh, which is the most common thing that anybody can probably most of the people can start if they want to. Uh, you, from your experience, you know, you would have started off thinking that you know what this is what probably the market needs. But after all these years, what do you think the Indian market actually need? Where there is scope to make money? What is that that is really useful now? What is in demand right now? I think uh, if you look at communication. i think to a large extent especially with generative ai i think that's again you know uh, something that i am very interested to see how it's going to disrupt uh, the language learning model because the uh, the, the language learning industry because right. i think the models lend itself very beautifully to this particular use case correct right being right. in terms of text and uh, the idea is that eventually the way i look at it is that uh, your knowledge of english is not going to stop you in an online world right right in an offline world if someone is going to come and talk to you you obviously need to respond so you know you need to learn correct so if you are in a offline world important to kind of look at it as right. if online i think today not knowing the language is no longer an excuse right uh, recently i did a training and you know i had all these tech guys right and i said look you been having this chip on your shoulder that i am technically very good but someone with a better communication is able to you know write better than me with with chat gpt you know there is nothing stopping them uh, in fact i have seen that a lot of people in my team right more confident to write linkedin posts right so i think it's it's definitely helped people uh, express themselves um, so i think if you are in an online world i think you know ai has Uh, a great it's a great opportunity right offline the challenges would still remain but the Where? question was around uh, if you were to look at opportunity right so yeah so the opportunity i would say is if there is a way by which you can look at some use cases with generative ai to kind of teach in an online that's what i would suggest uh, and in an offline uh, i think it's even greater now with all these genai things coming in what really is you know how do we get the human connection uh, so if it's a customer support you know i know there is automation but still when they end up talking to someone you need to have that uh, yeah. possibility that thing to kind of yeah got it you know it's very interestingly put when you mentioned about uh, when you just divided it into online and offline you say online is easier because of tools like chat gpt i'm, I'm assuming right and um, you said that offline is probably you know nothing has really come now for you to uh, aid you in your offline communications but going back to chat gpt also even to interact with chat gpt and get the best of chat gpt or you know chat gpt is not always right it can uh, you know embarrass you very badly if you really don't know what you're doing with it so how do you address that gap so that's is that what you're saying in offline probably you can teach people how to use generative ai is that where you're saying there's opportunity uh so let, i think let me kind of put it this way that uh, if you send me an email without me being very conversant in english i can respond to that email and make you feel that i know enough to sound smart right but offline i can't do that you talk to me you will get to know my communication correct correct that's right so yeah so i think that is the more fundamental thing of uh, the difference between online and offline so i am seeing a lot of people saying look online these guys will figure it out 
Right. Offline, I want them to develop the confidence and, you know, how to talk and, you know, those non-verbal cues. So I think that business is still huge. I think there is a huge opportunity there. Right. right but right, right, if someone is doing online teaching, I would say uh, to look at, you know, chat GPT and generative AI. Ideally, chat GPT, what we are looking at is really uh, just the introduction to that, correct? Right. But I, in the next, like Microsoft has already launched Copilot with the, the MS Office, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So when that rolls out, nobody will now stand at a blank MS Word screen ever. Right. right? right. You always will have the first draft written for you. Right. Outlook is going to give you like a sample, three samples to pick to respond, correct? So I think that is happening at the point of work. In other words, if I were to ask myself that, hey, Arun, your email training course, right? Tomorrow, if Microsoft and Google are going to roll it out and the cost comes down and companies start adopting it, I don't need to learn. I I, I can just go and my tool will uh, help me do that, right? So, which is why we are also looking at how do we use generative AI in our training? Right. So, you know, and we are also trying to educate our customers, as you correctly said, creating the prompt, right? How do you think? I think there is also this very um, thing around people feeling that I'm slacking if I'm using ChatGPT, right? So someone said, I said, how, how much of uh, ChatGPT did you use to produce this? And they said, oh, it's just like 20, 30%. I said, no, I would allow it if you said 90%. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think I think it's also a cultural thing that people are kind of letting go. And then there is also this old guard, so to speak, which says, oh, nothing can come close to, you know, the way I would write, you know, the poetry that would come out of my words. Guess what? I, I was a professional writer for many years. I looked at chat GPT, the blood drained out of my face because I was <laughs> like, man, how do I even compete with this, right? right? So I think now I use my knowledge of English to actually extract that kind of value yeah. out of chat GPT. Yeah? Got it. And just final uh question uh, is on you know i know that you use uh, edison os for visorly so is it still early stages or you know how's how are you using it how is it all coming together so far so i think what happened is uh, we learned from uh, my crackful kind of journey in terms of our tech thing so i think we were very clear uh, in 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 uh, perspicacity in for visorly to use a software vendor we didn't want to invest that amount in technology and right. you know and you know what we were really looking at is we were not looking at a lms because our experience is you know if you deal with a company with us this is my lms take it or leave it and we use it as a SaaS play uh we are having for example we have a client which has twenty thousand people uh branch relationship officers who need to be trained correct right, right. so when we are deploying at a large scale, you know, I don't want an LMS where, you know, I don't know what's happening, what kind of customization. Right. I wanted a tech partner, right? Right, And I think that's where my initial conversations with, uh, uh, you know, Neeraj, right? I think we were kind of yeah. discussing about thing. And I think that's what resonated. Uh, and, you know, we were able to kind of make that transition. So we have gotten in, uh, you know, a few months ago. And at this point, what we really are looking at is, how do we leverage the existing, uh, you know, capabilities of the platform, correct? Right. So we kind of have gone in with an assess, but we are very curious to see what is the to be 
that we could do with you know the product features and really look at even generative ai and see what is the best way forward how do we serve our clients because i think it makes for a very good business case for both because if we uh, eventually serve our customers you know it kind of helps you also meet your goals so yeah got it done so you mean to say you're just using the tool for now to deliver content correct so deliver content and training so that is our lms right now so a client would come he would basically log in log into the employees through the citizen platform and are 20000 people using it right now no that particular client is one example so in that oh, right, right. Case, we had to uh, actually uh, host our content on the client on side their so, platform right yeah right. so the, those are the other things that we also realized that sometimes you know it's just we have to go with you know some account specific things sometimes they want like a single sign on right so multiple right. Right. Probably just uh, one closing question uh, before we sign off. Uh, how do you see? What are you most excited about tech going forward? Um, you know, with respect to the domain that you are in, right. or uh, what would you be excited like? What do you think? You are like, oh, if this happens, you know, it'll be amazing for my business. If right. so i think as a teacher you know uh, and i have said this long before ai or anything came we always you know i said this thing about i did not i could i i knew that i could not clone myself correct right, right but it's no longer true with ai i know i can clone myself right so the idea really is you know as teachers when we gain uh, this experience you know what makes let's say Uh, me different from let's say someone else. I would say I have this experience, you know, that something that has come through years, and you know, I can't distill it in a bottle. Correct? I cannot kind of uh, do this. So I think there is a time where AI uh, can get to a point where teachers can use it as a digital brain. So they right. still have the touch and feel factor. So if you want to meet me in person, there is still a person who exists who can answer you real time, but. for things you do not need my direct access if there is a repository which can give you access to all my knowledge then you know it kind of makes both our jobs easier pretty much like a avatar of yourself right. virtual avatar you know who can probably you know even in your absence can kind of behave the, like the way you do but i think it's already getting there right i mean it's already in, getting there yeah yeah you know phones we will have something which is wake up in the morning do you want to respond to your whatsapp messages And yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Arun, great. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. It was uh, wonderful talking to you. Uh, it was very inspiring and you know, uh, very enlightening to learn about some of your experiences and how you kind of adapted to certain things. I'm pretty sure the aspiring teacherpreneurs uh, have a lot to take away from this conversation. And trust me, I still can uh, pick your brain in a lot of other aspects. But I only blocked ninety minutes of your time, so I'm I'm all I'm you know I'm already exceeding it by five minutes. So I'll leave you here. I'll probably get back to you. I'd love to do a part two. Uh, I know now more. Okay, what exactly to kind of talk to you about and ask you? So probably three months down the line, six months down the line, I'll get in touch with you and see if you'd be interested. And um, if you want what i was thinking you could also probably bring in your wife we can do a uh, you know as a group sort of a podcast you know that'll be a very interesting dynamic is what i was thinking if she's interested so yeah these are the thoughts that i'm having as of now but yeah totally looking forward to your episode being published and uh, we will keep you posted about um, all the things that happen from here on
but thank you so much arun Great. it was a Thanks pleasure having you having being here it was a pleasure this podcast is brought to you by edison os a no code edtech platform to operate an online education business knowledge entrepreneurs can use edison os to sell online courses from their own websites manage online master classes launch mobile learning apps sell online practice tests for competitive exams run online learning communities digitizing their offline tutoring business use it as a learning management system and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce